This is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Abraham's Wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. What's up, gentlemen? So this week, I am going into the vault. I have a little winter cold, and I'm just not up for reading this 15-minute treatise on, on permanent insurance for you. So we will resume our insurance series next week. In the meantime, I have a treat. Stephen and I happened to find ourselves in his living room a few weeks ago, and as we are wont to do, we recorded a podcast for you. This one is about how fear makes you dumb. And we've just seen this over and over in our own lives and in the lives of our friends that when we operate out of fear, we make bad decisions. And those can be financial or those can be non-financial. So I hope you enjoy this episode. We may take a week off come Christmas time, but we will be back at it and exploring the topic of permanent insurance next time we catch you. All right, here we go. So, here we are in your living room in Cincinnati, Ohio. Finally, we're here. Of all places. Yeah. We were having a conversation earlier about fear and what fear does to people and the way that it makes them think. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Let's do it. Okay. Um, let's think, let's think about how fear has maybe played into our worlds a little bit. Well, what I'm sure we'll get to is that fear can make a person dumb. It can make you act like a dumb, dumb and make decisions that you would not make if you were otherwise not afraid. So it becomes pretty obvious why people who are getting ready to go hack each other with broadswords paint themselves up and put wolf skins on their heads and stuff like that and try to look like monsters because it's terrifying and you'll start running sideways instead of forward when you see a bunch of monsters coming up the battlefield at you. Um, so I think there's a, a deeply ingrained thing inside of humans that knows that if we can make someone scared, they're going to make bad decisions. Yeah, well, this is why um, Scotland always fought its battles with uh, bagpipes nearby because there was this haunting um, wraith-like scream uh, and they had this, you know, they had the legend of like the banshee was part of their culture and and people weren't really familiar with the sound of this. And this army would come with the sound and people would be terrified at the sound and then they would hack you to death. But yeah, the the point with your illustration is the people's swords weren't any stronger. They weren't didn't have any bigger muscles. They just had face paint and looked crazy. And uh, when terror is at play, everything goes awry. So I I can I'll tell a story that's much less dramatic than um, 
claymores on the highlands. Because you haven't had the same experiences I have fighting in the Scottish highlands. No, although we are a Scottish family, and though I have MacDougald blood running through me, I have not, I have not fought on the highlands. Um, I just remember it's it's maybe a um, an experience a lot of people have. So when I was in college, I had nothing. Nothing. My my parents paid for tuition and just making it from week to week was on me. So I would get jobs like um, refereeing intramurals at college and get, I think I made, I don't know, $6 an hour doing that. And stretching from one week to the next was on me. And I knew it and I felt the responsibility of that. And so me and my pals, um, guys like Shane uh, and Bahong, we knew where we could go to find the free meals. We knew that the Lutherans uh, gave free lunches to the college students on Mondays. I think the Methodists did it on Tuesday nights. The Baptists, which is my crew, they gave um, free lunches to college kids, which is peanut butter sandwiches on Wednesdays. And we made the rounds. I remember, I don't know what it's like today, but at Texas A&M, the, when you got into the cafeteria, you got basically a buffet. When you got into the cafeteria, you paid, uh, I don't know what it was, five bucks and get in, and you can eat anything your heart desires. Well, again, I would, I would go like two meals without eating. Then I would straddle two meals at, at, at the, at the, um, cafeteria I would go in at like 10 30 eat as much as I possibly could for breakfast then study inside the cafeteria and before I left at like two I would stuff myself again so this is the way I thought during college you with me this is a common thing amongst poker players too okay we would sit because they'll give you a free buffet for every like 10 hours that you play cards good gravy and the thing is, you don't burn a lot of calories playing poker. So we learned, hey, we could just sit here and then we'll get that $60 buffet. And that's the rest of our day right there. We could probably fit 2,500 calories in. Wow, that's buffet. gross. But anyways, I just, I'm just i saying <laughs> I can relate to your humble okay. upbringing. So the picture that comes to mind is that in the, you know, nobody had utensils. I think we had like you know, a fork and a pie cutter among us. And then you just keep those utensils going around forever. And, you know, there's the, the most pathetic kind of kitchenware in our uh, place. We had, by the way, we had a two bedroom house and we had six guys that lived in that place. That was really common for my college days. And there was a drawer. I think this drawer exists in every college person's abode. You open up the drawer and what's it full of? Ketchup packets, um, Taco Bell salsa packets, honey, anything that's left over, plasticware, um, the, the tons of napkins they cram in the bags. And what happens at the end of the semester? There's a, bag, there's a drawer full of stuff that's just piled up and piled up. If you... If you aren't using the soy sauce packet for your noodles that night, guess what? You're not going to be using soy sauce. If you're not using it on that night's meal, you're not going to use it. 
But what do you do if you have a poverty mindset and you think, I won't have anything going forward? What do you do? You stick it in that drawer. You squirrel it away thinking there will come a time when there are no calories. And so you squirrel it away and you have this mongrel attitude to everything. You, When you're at the uh, Baptist Student Union and getting the free peanut butter, you stick an extra one in your pocket when you're walking out the door because you just know, I'm not getting any more food anywhere else. And over time, that thing can get really ingrained into you. It certainly did in me. I, I grew up middle class, um, was in definitely in poverty in and after college. I know I was in college, but I didn't have any money. Didn't have any money after college. And then started earning money and getting out of that habit has been a real challenge. So what we were talking about. You skipped the 25 years between college and the starting earning money, but continue. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, those were the poverty years. Those are the songwriting years. Um, we were talking about um, um, a friend, a mutual friend of ours, who I've spent a lot of time with this guy over the years and we're describing uh, he he brought a proposition lately to us about hey what about this for my life change and as he describes this what he thinks of as a possibility you and i look at each other and go no, that that's not a possibility it doesn't get you ahead it's not going to it's not going to increase your time it's not going to be a long term blessing to your family what it is is an obligation that he's describing and he thinks it's some great opportunity that's come his way. And my comment to you about this family who live in a different state and known for a long time um, is that this guy I know, he always thinks so small and he grew up with a poverty mindset. That's my dog chewing on something behind us if you hear sound effects. Um, this poverty mindset that just thinks so small and so kind of puny and pathetic and thinking, well, if somebody offered me a job, that, that would be so incredible. I, I, I should probably take, probably take the job instead of going, whoa, 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 whoa. You, let's really consider your options here. And the comment that you quoted before was that fear makes you stupid because Fear prevents you from seeing the opportunities that are in front of you. It crowds your vision and you think small, always, always. Um, so Mark, do you have any, any examples or illustrations come to mind, stories of people acting in fear? I've seen it happen. I, I think lately the thing that comes to mind for me is guys who are acting like 22 year olds who are actually 35 year olds that have mm. families and kids and I don't mean they're out drinking at the frat house I mean that one story comes to mind of a guy who you know he he had done sort of this career path and seen well I feel I feel really limited I don't think I'm worth much I'm looking at guys like you, Mark, and I'm not making a third of what you're making. So I guess I'm just a lower, a lower value individual. And I'm thinking, oh, stop it. That's silly. You just need to go out and figure out what's right for you. And then one day we're having a beer or 
on the phone or something and and this dude's like well i joined the army <laughs> and i said what <laughs> you uh you've got two little tiny kids and a wife you can't do that and it was a disaster but I think there's multiple stories like that where a guy has shortchanged himself. Mm. And I think we're, honestly, I think we're all tempted to do this. I've been tempted to do this when I was in a job I really hated, where I, I was interviewing and I thought, I should be the guy who's interviewing me's boss, for sure. I'm better at this than he is. Mm. And then the offer comes through, hey, we want you, and I'm kind of in a job I'm not really enjoying at the time. And I think, well, maybe maybe that is what I'm worth. And the fearful option is always there to say, yeah, I guess I'll take a sideways move. And yeah, bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. So I've seen this play out for me in my own perception of myself and in other guys in kind of a low value of what you bring to the table, whether that's in the working world or, well, I see a lot of other guys running successful businesses, but I bet if I started one, it would be a bust. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I do see it. Um, A couple of verses come to mind. Um, One is, this is an old favorite of mine. It's Psalm 1918. I used to have it on my stairway in the old house. And it said, um, He has brought me out into a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. And upon first blush, you think, oh, spacious place. Oh, that means freedom and I can dance and I'm not entangled and I'm not enchained. That's true. But I can also tell you that being in a spacious place where you could make any decision and you could go in any direction can also be really paralyzing. And there is a there is a level of maturity and authority and confidence that you have to have to exist in a spacious place. And and it's the opposite of this of shoving hot sauce in a drawer is going um, while everything is open before me. And I could go in any direction, and I know that whatever direction I go in, this is this is a this is a tricky thing. But we have to have an attitude that says, one, I know that any direction that I went in, His favor would follow me, and I know that His blessing would follow me because I'm His child, no matter what I did. And secondly, I don't want to do any old thing; I just want to do what He calls me to do, and whatever He calls me to do. And I don't want. I don't want either my selfish ambition or my fear to tell me which way to go. I want to be so open and free that if he tells me to take the low place and do a, be a shift manager at McDonald's, I'll say yes to that and go, let's go and take that low place and realize that's part of his openness. And he might want to humble me for a while and be a low earner and, you know, anything that he wants. And also if he goes, I've got dreams for you to be a huge provider and generous and blah, 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 then I would also go yes to that. That's a really hard thing for us to do because we tend to categorize ourselves demographically based on our financial past. And we kind of think this is appropriate for me. Most people, if you gave them a a survey saying, "What, what kind of income do you think you're capable of earning? 
they will, they'll put themselves in a little niche and they'll live there for the rest of their lives, not even knowing that they've put a lid on themselves, but they'll just go, well, that's just who I assume I am. We, we really want to lift all those things off because I just think the Lord wants us to, again, walk out in the spacious place. I'll get, I'll give my second passage after you react to that. So I, my, I have a question for you about that, okay. which is how do we then, cause you said wherever I go, the Lord's favor is coming with me. I don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the abundance mentality. There's not a, there's not a limited amount of blessing that's available. And I just have this size slice of the, the blessing pie, right? Yeah. Um, I can I can confidently step into something and say, um, why why wouldn't I put my hand to this? Even though success in this looks like bigger everything than I've ever heard of anyone in my family line ever ever getting their hands on. Um, what's the difference in thinking like that and thinking, um, well, because God loves me, He's going to make me financially successful um yeah because there's a ditch there that that i think probably a lot of people that hear that line of thinking at first blush they would say uh, hang on a second am i listening to to prosperity talk here or yeah. what <clears throat> i think that's a really good question about how we have an openness to everything that god wants to give us and at the same time not have this Um, this kind of feeling that he owes us, that we have um, some kind of expectation that everything's going to be wonderful for us. Um, As you know, Paul said, I have learned the secret of being content in all circumstances, whether I have little or I have much. Um, That's a really hard thing to learn. I think you have to have little and have much, and I think you have to struggle with them both to get to that place. But I liken it to somebody who, let's say he is a he is an heir to a manor in England and his father is a lord and he's going to someday inherit a huge estate with servants and vineyards and castles and you name it. But he goes out in his 20s and he goes exploring and he goes into Asia and he lives on $20 a week and he's, he's having such a great time exploring that he just keeps going and his clothes are in tatters and he lives on a crust of bread and sometimes he goes hungry for days at a time, but he's like, he's loving it. He's just experiencing the world out there and he doesn't sweat the fact that he has <clears throat> little for, for periods of time because he knows what's being built into me is more important than my present circumstances. And I also know that I'm going to be an heir someday. I know that I have a relationship with a father who manages massive properties and someday I'm going to come into inheritance. So what I'm experiencing today is just training for whatever I'm going through. And that same guy, you think of him overseas and he doesn't speak the language or whatever. Let's say he's in Asia and he has to glean uh, rice fields to have food, but he gets to see wonderful sights and he climbs Mount Fiji and et cetera, et cetera. Then let's say as he's traveling back, he comes through, I don't know, 
some English-speaking land, some part of France, where you find some people who speak English, and they want to enter into multi-million dollar negotiations with him. And he doesn't have anything on him, and he's still in the same tatters, and he's got his beard all grown out, and he looks a mess. But he can authoritatively enter into negotiations and step up to the table and talk as an heir to a fortune that he doesn't presently hold in his hands because he has this wherewithal about him. And I think of that kind of sitting at the, you know, the big boys table of negotiations. I think um, these have been the times in my life when I've come into money or I've come into authority or I've sat at tables where I thought, I don't really deserve to be at this table being consulted about this. But I'll think, you know, maybe the Lord prepared me for this. And for me, that walking out into an open field, he's led me out into openness means that um, I will be like Paul. And I would say when I am living on $9,000 a year, something that I've done, um, I just want to know the Lord in those times, knowing that he will provide for me, knowing that I have a good inheritance in him and that my lack in the short term doesn't define me. And also, um, you know, I uh, just as an example, I've, worked before for two days and got paid $20,000 for two days of work and felt like I remember, I remember getting that check and thinking this was, this was in two days more than I made in two years, um, a different part of my life and thinking, Oh, the, the, the sort of blessing or responsibility of this much money at this one time feels paralyzing or I don't have any business doing this or whatever. Um, but an identity in the Lord means that I can handle much or little realizing that where I'm going is greater than all these things. So anyways, I don't know if that answers your question, but I don't think I, I don't think we deserve anything. I don't think we have any expectation that we're going to be rich or anything like that in, in this present life. But we know that a wealth that's greater than money is coming our way. Yeah, that's really good because that, that traveling heir would never look into the pockets of his tattered travel pants to figure out what kind of what's in my future right uh he's not thinking if if i'm busto right now that has anything to do with the fortune that awaits yeah and, and me and my buddy adam have talked long and hard about um luke 16 and the parable of the talents and the reward of being faithful with whatever talents you were given, and it could have been a million dollars, it could have been a thousand dollars, but being the reward for being faithful is that you get to rule cities. That's the reward. So I'm thinking back on me in my 20s, having nothing and realizing, hey, I want to be faithful with what I've been given. I want to be responsible for even the little that's been entrusted to me because there is rulership coming for me. It's, it's waiting there in the distance. And I think fear will make you think really small and trust in the Lord will make you think really big. And, and I mean, even thinking big when you've got a little amount of money. I remember having to use a lot of faith to give $50 to somebody when I was in college and thinking, 
I know that the Lord sees this. I know what he's making me into. And even though this represents a lot of money to me right now, I'm giving it in faith because this is what he's doing in me. And I want to be seen as faithful. And that's really holy to the Lord. You know, the dollar amount doesn't matter. As we know, there, there, there was the woman that gave two pennies into the offering. And Jesus said she gave more than those guys that gave a whole bunch of money. She was faithful with the little that she had and she gave sacrificially. So there's, there's something a lot more than the bottom line that's going on with us. And when I see guys like our friend we talked about who only operate with their head down, they think so short term that they think, oh, if I got a little bit more breathing room, well, I think we'll make a hundred more dollars a month if we do this thing. And there's this sickly desperation to the decisions they make. It makes me sad. I mean, that, that's really how we got into this conversation is seeing guys who are stuck in that poverty mentality is sad to me. Yeah. And I don't think it's just 25 year olds who are no trying to decide whether they're going to hop out into the entrepreneurship milieu or, or 35 year olds who are just taking the job. Like we talked about earlier. I know when I started my current business, um, I, I talked to a lot of people who are doing what I'm doing and who maybe had a long career, they were successful, they were working for other companies doing financial planning. And then it, it, it was like, man, there's a, lot, there's a lot of success to be had out there. I think I'm going to do this on my own. But jumping out on their own, it was really easy for them to kind of return to a poverty mentality that yeah. says, well, maybe I'll just underprice myself and sell my time for way less than it's worth and really way less than I can even like joyfully <laughs> provide services for because I got to eat. And and I think that was one of the big differences in in the way that I was approaching this first phase of a new business is in order to yeah, make talk sure about that because uh, because a lot of your peers who were starting financial businesses at the time that you were, were kind of stunned by the decisions you were making. Right. Because it's the type of thing, it's not like a tech startup where you need to go out, raise enough money to pay people for quite a long time and then hope that you break through. Um, that's a kind of a different thing in financial planning and probably a lot of service, service businesses. You can acquire some basic tools and start making money on day one, really. Um, and so people people hang a shingle and they go out there and they say, well, I gotta figure out how much to charge. Everybody, and I found this to be true across all industries, people when they're starting out way underprice themselves. But I think part of the motivator is because it's, businesses have been set up in such a way that they need to pay the bills that day. And there's no, they work work backwards from what do I have to earn to pay my rent? Yeah. I've heard people say that about their financial planning business. I, I've heard guys say, well, you know, I can charge that much because my rent is only $900 a month. And so I can charge way less than everybody else. And you know, I'll, I'll just go after kind of uh, the type of client, the type of business that's not going to be really who I want to work with, or it can it can manifest in all sorts of ways. Well, it would certainly hamstring their growth. 
about what they could ever be as a business, right? Right. And so a little bit of planning, and and I don't know that this is a deep spiritual insight, but it's definitely speaks to the impact of fear by saying, you know, I'm going to start a business and I'm even going to plan to start a business years ahead of when I start a business. I'm going to plan so that I don't need to make money on day one, month one, or even year one in order to run this thing. Mm -hmm. And the result kind of to circle back to what we started on is that I'm not afraid of starving next month. I don't care if I want to do something that's going to be a long-term positive, that's going to cost me money this month. Um, and maybe even, uh, for example, I meet with people that range completely in the, in the, in the spectrum of net worth from very, very negative to millions and millions of dollars. I, I talk to people whose salary is very low all the way up to seven figures and about, and really there's a big spectrum. And sometimes the right answer as a financial planner is to look at somebody for whatever reason and say, you, you shouldn't hire me. Um, that can be because it's a bad move for them. They, they can't afford it right now. It's not the right time. They're too busy right now. And you know, it's going to be like pulling teeth. It can also be, uh, because it's a bad fit. All of those taking those clients will result in a bad experience for that client, which will result in bad things for a new business. You- well, but we we know from our event and wedding business, wedding planning business, that if you're just so desperate and you just think it's short term, we just got to have revenue. You'll just take anybody, no matter how painful the client is, and they can they can eat up a, a third of your year just with pain. Exactly. And so there's negative impacts on your capacity. There's negative impacts on your reputation, your life, your client can feel it. If you're not enjoying the work you're doing, Mm -hmm. all that stuff is a result. I would say of the initial fear-based decision to, to do something that's entirely a a short-term move. And I think it's just as relevant. I mean, a lot of the guys that listen to us talk are not entrepreneurs, it's just as relevant to me if you're thinking about taking a job, um, you know, that, well, I'm just going to take this job. I don't want to do it, um, but it's it's going to pay the bills. And, and there's certainly a time and place to be <laughs> paying the bills of the right. job. Some of the guys listening to this, the answer is go but, pay your bills. But fear can't the, be the motivator. Exactly. The fear-based decision is going to backfire and result in kind of this death spiral of poverty. And yeah. before you know it, you've got a drawer filled with honey packets. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, we could, just to circle back to that point you made about this can happen to you at any life stage. Guys who are even, who even have a nice uh, retirement set aside, when they enter retirement, they can become very grabby and small-minded because they think, well, I can't make the pot any smaller because that's what I've got to live on for the rest of my life. I can contrast that with my good friend, Larry, who's a mentor of mine. And he, in retirement, um, moved into a a lower-class area of Cincinnati. He started a, a 501c3, and he and his wife used their money to bless the neighborhood around them um, he told me in confidence the other day, so I hope he doesn't lose his reward for me telling this, but 
he just told he, he's just telling me as as a mentor or somebody who really cares about what his financial life looks like he said we live on we live on 10% of our income right now and we get we're giving away 90% of it right now i was like what and i know larry he's not a millionaire he just doesn't live in fear and he's playing the long game with his life his kids are taken care of his heritage is secure you know his legacy and but as far as his income goes and that includes all of their like you know, whatever insurance and social security and whatever else, they're giving it away generously. He just doesn't live in fear. And man, I, I want to have a life of impact like that. So anyways, Lord, bring us some Larry's, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's quite a gift to have yeah. a guy that's in that life stage. that's willing to share that level with you. Yes, he is. Well, anyways, this has been a meditation on fear and, uh, we, I just would bless anybody listening that, you would have that thing ripped from before your eyes, which is an impediment to you and a thorn in your side. If there's anything that makes you um, take the first available thing until of waiting, unless instead of waiting for the better thing to come along, praying for small things instead of praying for, no, God, I want your fullness. I want everything you have for me. Lord, I, I want my children's to uh, my children to, I want lots of children. I want them to, grow up provided for and I want them to be more anointed than I am and I want them to have better friendships than I do and just have that kind of aggressive it is a it's it's tough to talk about abundance without acting like we we think we all deserve more and more and more we don't but I think the Lord I mean this is one of my favorite verses Psalm 81:10 open wide your mouth and I will fill it up and it's his business how full he makes my mouth It's not my business, but it is my business to open my mouth as wide as I can. And so I bless all you guys out there to have great expectations, believing I will see the goodness of God in the land of living and to not walk forward with fear and small dreams about what God wants to do in your life. That's right. Fear makes you stupid. Fear makes you stupid. We don't want you to be stupid. No, be wise. So for Abraham's Wallet, I'm Mark Parrott. And I'm Stephen Manuel. Later. Later.